0: Hi, everybody. Before we get into today's passage, I want you to picture this scene. You're walking into a really nice lecture hall. There's some classical music playing. You look on the stage and there's some men and women in like business attire, not business casual, but like these are power suits. And they're all seated on the stage and everyone's coming down and they, they make their way into their seats and the lights go down. And then as someone is walking up to the podium to make this very important speech all of a sudden you see some flashes ch- ch, bright lights and then you hear the sound arr, arr, and then you hear a voice come on over the pa system ladies and gentlemen the lecture hall is on fire and pandemonium breaks loose, the lights come up, there's people crawling over the seats, and everyone on the stage starts clawing at each other, trying to get over each other, and pushing them out of the way so they can make their exit. And in the middle of all of this, there's this woman who who pushes out out of the crowd of the business suits, and she walks calmly up to the lectern and says, Ladies and gentlemen, may I please have your attention? We are going to be okay, but I need everybody to stay calm. There are exits over here. There are exits over there, to both your right and to your left. We will all make it out okay, but everyone has to stay calm. If you're on this side of my hand, please go out of the room on your left. If you're on this side of the room, and she calmly gets everybody to safety. Now. When I pictured this, I was reading this illustration uh, in a book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And when I first pictured this the scenario, all the people up on the stage were, were the leaders because of their place in the room. They were the leaders because of the way they were dressed and and everyone else was up there looking at them. But once the announcement was made that the lecture hall was on fire, the playing field was level. And... The, the, the anxiety in the room was actually contagious. It went from, from the stage to the people in the, in the hall and from the people in the seats all the way up onto the stage. And it was one person who had the courage to speak out. Because being non-anxious doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Doesn't always mean that you're just this little mousy person. Being non-anxious takes a lot of courage because you have to separate from all the toxic stuff, the, all the people who are freaking out because the lecture hall is on fire. And they spoke the truth. And in that, in that scenario, the person who broke free of the dysfunctional cycles and the fear actually became the leader. And we started a series last week. And yeah, I highly recommend you go back and you watch it uh, if, you, if you missed it or download it on podcast, but it's not necessary to, to keep up with today's teaching. Uh, but last week we started the series based on some markers that a, a cultural, and this really brilliant guy, Edwin Friedman, an author, he wrote Failure of Nerve, and he says that the number one marker of an anxious culture is reactivity. And when he's talking about an anxious culture, this could be a classroom. An anxious culture could be a family system. Uh, How was Christmas for you, by the way? (laughs) An anxious culture could be an entire nation. And reading through this example, I was thinking, oh my goodness. It feels like for the past few decades in my life, in my culture, my context as North America, in so many instances, it feels like a giant announcement uh, PA system in America said the lecture hall is on fire, and the whole country has just been going wild. Everyone for themselves. Everyone uh, just being reactive. And I feel deep down in my in my bones that God is looking for some followers of Jesus that will step back from this, this cycle of reactivity and, and say, no, I'm not going to get sucked into all of that. At the same time, I'm not going to remove myself from all of that to the degree where, where I'm cloistered and I'm, and I'm not in the system at all. God is looking for some people God is looking, and I believe if you're here with us today, guess what, you're it. God is calling you, God is calling me to say we're gonna stay connected to our neighborhoods, we're gonna stay connected to these, these cultures that we're involved in without merging with them. So last week we talked about this, the, the, this, this culture of reactivity needs an antidote. And I believe from the life and teachings of Jesus, the antidote for what we're seeing these days, uh, that's so reactive, the antidote is a slowed down spirituality. I didn't coin that term, that's a pastor from Brooklyn named Pete Scazzaro, uh, who's, uh, and, and others who've said Jesus had one speed, and it, it was slow. He, he was quick, but he didn't hurry. Uh, and, and it was never, ever rushed. And uh, I want to read an example of that. And this, this is Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn in your own Bibles, if you're going to write in that or take notes, go ahead and turn there. We're going to put the scripture on the screen. And this these 10 verses are going to form the, 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 the center of our thoughts and our discussion today. So Matthew 4, 1 through 10. Uh, so Jesus was just baptized. And after that, then... Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so they won't even hurt a foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Now, if you've been following closely, like I know this is probably most of you, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, Mike, you preached on the same passage in 2021. I totally get it, you have it memorized, you're probably pulling up the notes right now. Actually, I don't know if it was 2021, but this is one of my favorite passages, and there's so much here, and it's as relevant to us today as it was to the original recipients in the first century, and there's there's a lot of themes we could pick up on here, but especially as it pertains to how we can make it through this anxious culture with cycles of toxicity and tribalism, and we could go on and on about that. There are so many bits that we can hang on to that will keep us anchored to the truth, and there's so many things in this, in this passage that will keep us from getting swept up and swept off our feet uh, into places that are far, far away the, uh, from where God dreams for us to be. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the things that sticks out to me that, that shows how non-anxious Jesus was was just how he responded to the attacks on his own identity. Three times the enemy of our souls approaches Jesus with a temptation and it's always preferenced by if you are the son of God. If you are who you think you are, who do you think you are? But Jesus knew who He was. If you if you go back um, the 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 scriptures right before there's no chapter division in the original text, but right before this story it was the story of Jesus' baptism, and Jesus had just heard from on high the Almighty say, "This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased." And how often does that? happen in our lives. We have this moment where, where we get a glimpse of who we're created to be, and we're, we're starting to get some, some traction in our life, maybe taking two steps forward. When the enemy comes to test us, so often, it's being tempted of, who are you? Who do you think you are? Oh, you think God can forgive you? Don't you remember your freshman year in high school? Oh, you think God's forgiven you? Don't you remember what you said to that person last week? You're not who you, you're not who God says you are. Jesus was firm. He knew that I am, God just said, I am his beloved son. And it's almost like those, those, those temptations already were, were behind in the race. Like, if you, what do you mean, if I am who I say I am? Ah, it's not who I say I am. It's who God just said I was a few minutes ago, back in the, a few days ago, back in the river. If you are who you, say, who you say you are, and another thing that we're actually gonna focus on this week is, is Jesus stood up to this temptation, by the way, temptation to take a shortcut, all of these temptations, there was dangling a carrot of something that would be good if Jesus was in charge, if Jesus was seen by everyone, if Jesus was, was, had his needs taken care of, was stones into bread. It, it showed that the devil knew something about Jesus' mission. But the devil was offering Jesus a shortcut. A shortcut to getting his hunger, his valid hunger met. Offering Jesus a shortcut to his name being famous. Oh, if 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 people see me jump off the, the, the temple and the angels catch me, everyone will say, whoa, look at that, he can turn stones to bread. Angels catch him. Who is this guy? Finally, the shortcut to power. If you, all you gotta do, Jesus, is just bow down and worship me and then I'll make you powerful over all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus already was. He didn't need the devil's shortcuts. So in every single one of these temptations, Jesus responded to them by embracing God's limits on Jesus you ever think about that? And Jesus in human form, yes, good historic Christian theology says that Jesus is all God. He's also, at the same time, fully human. The devil's saying, turn these stones into bread. I know you're so hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Not only will you get your hunger met, but you're going to do something spectacular, bringing something out of nothing almost like echoes back to the garden. Like do something like like God the Father creates something out of nothing. But Jesus said, no, my real food comes from the the Father. The the, the scripture is my bread. Acknowledging, yeah, I've got human limitations, but I'm not going to overstep. I'm not going to do things your way. I'm going to embrace the limitations that God has given me. Jesus didn't jump off the high place in in the holy city of Jerusalem. He's like, no, I don't need to do, to, to make, to care so much about what people say about me. I'm gonna care, I'm gonna go about God's plan for my life without going after other people's plan for my life. I don't need angels to catch me to obey God. And finally, we talked about the power shortcut. Jesus knew that that his path wasn't up and to the right, getting more powerful and more popular and more powerful. He knew his path word was down, down towards a cross, towards pain and suffering. And he refused to take a shortcut around that. This is a powerful uh, uh, example of what it's like to, to resist the reactivity that's around us, around you and me. So the, the, the emphasis is to slow down, but not just to physically and literally slow down like a turtle, but just we don't have to keep up with the pace of reacting and responding to every single little thing that's around us. Some of you may say, you know what? I'm getting a little bit older. I'm not working. I don't have kids at home. I don't need to slow down. And so physically, I'm right there with you but what about your emotions? What about your thoughts? Slowing down looks different uh, for for us in different stages of our life. So yes, maybe your, your, your day planner isn't as full as it used to be a few decades ago, but what about your heart and your emotions and your mind? Are they always working on something? Wishing, worrying about something, worrying about keeping what you have, worrying about something you don't have control over? Or maybe you're just starting out in life. Maybe you're a teenager and you hear slow down and you're like, sweet, now I don't have to do anything. I'm just being spiritual. Maybe for you, slowing down looks like putting that phone game down and actually doing something. Maybe for you, slowing down looks like a discontinuation of the doom scrolling that you can get sucked into for hours that are wasting your life and and trying to to keep up with these images on whatever it is TikTok but actually like living life and to say I'm not going to I'm not going to keep up with that frenetic pace of absorbing information and post after post after post I'm going to slow my brain down and actually be physically present with the real world around me the IRL in real life so how do we disconnect from all of the 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 negative things around us, a slowed down spirituality, and the first way you do that is to embrace your first job. Your first job is to be with Jesus. Psalm twenty-four or Psalm twenty-seven, verse four, talks about how it's better to spend one day in God's courts than in God's courts than thousands elsewhere. That's our first job as a human: is to be with Jesus. What you do matters, what you produce. Oh my goodness, that matters. But the first priority is staying connected to Jesus. In Jesus' own words, he says that he's the vine and we're the branches. And it, it, when we're connected to Jesus, his life flows through us. But when we disconnect from Jesus by doing things our own way, by trying to keep up with what the world says will make us famous or comfortable or or a person of worth and value, that's disconnecting from the vine. And Jesus says, when you're disconnected, you're, you're not good for anything. Just like a branch that we toss in to the campfire. So that's our, our first pathway of being a Christian. Your first job is to learn how to be with Jesus, You know, with, with a rhythm of prayer life. And we're going to get into that and with rhythms of, of experiencing Jesus uh, with other people and, and, and renewing your mind. And as you learn to be with Jesus throughout your everyday eating, talking, working, uh, walking around life, you start to become like Jesus. And then you be with Jesus as you're becoming like Jesus. And eventually, you start to do the same things that Jesus did. So... The first way we slow down is, is we we just learn to be with Jesus, and this is counterintuitive to so many of us because we think, okay, I got to be with Jesus. What do I got to read? What do I got to say? Where do I got to go? And it's not so much about doing, but it's a lot of listening, a lot of. And, and I know it sounds, it can sound so like touchy feely, and oh, there goes Mike with that that prayer and listening stuff. Seriously, you guys, there is something to this, to to having this experience where you can sense God talking to you just when you slow down enough. And it doesn't have to be for hours and hours. Just when you slow down, maybe it's for 10 seconds, and you just, huh, there you are. There you are, Jesus. All right, I'm I'm just going to spend this time being with you just for, okay. Then you go about your day. So you be with Jesus and then we follow Jesus. We embrace our limits. We don't like to, don't like to say that. There's a song on my workout playlist that every day that I hear it when I'm, I'm doing push-ups or I'm running and there's a song that's like, hey, you can do whatever you wanna do. You just gotta put your mind to it. And every time I stop, I go, no, that's not true. <laughs> I wanna dunk a basketball. And I've been trying to put my mind to it for 30 years, and I haven't been able to dunk a basketball. I have limits. I am vertically challenged. And there's some health to embracing our limits. I don't mean being fatalistic and giving up. I don't mean chucking our dreams. But I just mean embracing. It's like there's a theology of limits. And I want to unpack this with you for just a second. There's a huge difference between God-given limits and self-induced limits. Massive difference, and if you don't pay attention, you can get the two confused. So, God-given limits. Some examples of this are your personality. Some of you get your energy by being around people. Some of you, even though you're not shy, people drain you. That's a God-given limit. It's not right or wrong. But we have to embrace them, or else we're going to run ourselves ragged or drive ourselves uh, just to, to points of frustration. So your personality, your temperament are God-given, wonderful limits. And this is a hard one. This next one: your season of life is a God-given limit. Singleness—it's a God-given limit. You embrace that season. Also, marriage. Is a, there are God-given limits. Uh, somewhere uh, somewhere, my wife is saying, amen. I can't just get to do everything I want to do when I'm married. I have limits. I have constraints. There are blessings. There's good things about them, but there's also limits. So whether you're married or single, it's your season of life, and there are limits that come with both of both of those things. There's financial limits to embrace. What if we stopped wishing that we were in the next bracket up, the next click up? But just embraced for now. Here's what I have to work with. Doesn't mean that you don't try to grow your finances and get out of debt and things like that, but but it's very unhealthy to not live within your financial limits. Somewhere on the internet, Dave Ramsey is saying, Amen. Some of us, and I'm not me I'm not trying to be cute or put someone, we have intellectual limits. <laughs> like it's okay to embrace, yes, we always want to have a growth mindset and learn, but don't beat yourself up if you're not uh, like on par with Kierkegaard and all these science, uh, philosophers or um, Stephen Hawking. We have intellectual limits, okay? And it's okay. And here's one that, if you have access to the internet, if you have access to YouTube, here's one you probably don't like. We all have a God-given limit of time. Only so many hours in the day. Here's one that we don't like to talk about a lot. We're not going to live forever. There's this, uh, there's this order in uh, the Catholic Church. I think it's the Benedictine monks. I don't think it's the Franciscans. But there's, there's, this, there, there's some of our Catholic friends. And part of their rule of life is every day they wake up and remind themselves that someday that they're going to, to die. And it's not in a morbid way. The spirit behind that practice isn't a morbid spirit, like like to be macabre. It's it's actually a reminder to make today count, to make this moment count. Don't take the breath in your lungs. Don't take that for granted. Don't take breakfast for granted. And it actually makes them get more out of life. These are God-given limits. And I think it's interesting that our self-induced limits can be lies we tell ourselves about those God-given limits. So some examples of what self-induced limits look like, it looks like lies that we tell ourselves about our identity. Oh, I'm stupid. I'll never get that. Oh, I'm just a mess up. I do this every time and I'm always going to be like this. Lies we tell ourselves, like I'm beyond redemption. No one can forgive me. No one can love me. And by the way, if you've ever told yourself that, or you've had that voice in your head, that's a lie. And we rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. God doesn't say that about you. And when you when you give your life to Jesus, you get a new identity. So we can we can tell ourselves lies about our, our time. We, I'm, I'm going to live forever. I'm bulletproof. Woohoo! What financial limits? What's that? Just put it on the credit card again. Well, I'll pay for it later. Like those are, that, those are actually self-induced behaviors that give us even more limitations. And Jesus, he he knew in this passage, he knew his limitation. He knew he had a, a limited amount of time on this earth. Jesus knew uh, that that he, he wasn't going to let someone else limit his own identity if you are who you say you are. And Jesus wasn't going to, limit what God wanted to do through his life by taking a shortcut. And how did Jesus get here? Well, we see over and over again, Jesus had a well-established rhythm of engaging and retreating. He had a well-established rhythm of working and resting. So I want to bring all this together and, and say, this matters to you and me because we need to slow down. And I've got a real practical way for us to practice this together. And just, I wanna let you off the hook. You will probably fail at this one or two times this week. And when you do, don't beat yourself up over it. We're trying something new. We're trying it together. But my challenge to you is to slow down. How? Well, I want you to to get a piece of paper or a word processing document of some kind And I want you to divide your day into thirds. You got a third of your day for a to-do list, a third of your day uh, to to rest and to to enjoy something, and then hopefully a third of your day to sleep. And I want you to divide those, those into thirds and to figure out, to schedule a time and start slow. Don't start with an hour three times a day, but like five minutes. 5 minutes in the morning to listen to Jesus to pray 5 minutes in the afternoon and then 5 minutes before you go to bed so starting your day thinking about Jesus in the middle of your day engaging with Jesus and then at the end of your day and just marking those 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 thirds with, with engaging and, and setting your mind and heart on Jesus, but also, whether if you have a job, or maybe you don't have a job, but you can't do your, what, whatever's on your to-do list or worry list for three-thirds of a day. You need to take one of those thirds for sleeping, one of those thirds for not worrying or working or striving, and just, just have, have a dinner with a loved one uh, have a dinner, there. call someone, just do something that gives you life in that third of a day. Yes, we've got to get stuff done. We've got to-do lists and errands to run and jobs to go to, totally get that. But make sure that you're, you're touching base with Jesus in every third of a day, and then you're not working for three-thirds of the day. And I, as you go throughout your week, I want to know how this is going for you. So please reach out to us at sgbic.com. You can send us an email. You can put it in the comments in this chat or, or reach out to us privately. But this is something I want to figure out how to do this together uh, and, 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 and to, to, to grow in this practice together in this slowed down, non-reactive spirituality so that we can be the ones who who stand up in the midst of chaos, in the midst of people reacting to each other in anger, and we can say, hey, stop. Let's do it this way. Listen to the voice of the good shepherd because God can make you into that kind of person. God needs us together, not just one of us, but imagine if groups of us were saying, hey, the, the, the answer isn't more money, the answer isn't a, a, a purely secular political thing like the answer is Jesus, we have the answer like follow let's all go this way. And I think God can God can use that, my friend and that's the invitation for you and me uh, is to, to do step one and follow Jesus by slowing down so Until we're together next week, may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. May you hear God saying, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. And may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you.